Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Why I Make Art, the Sound and Vision podcast book, is just about to release. It features 30 artist features, quotes from artists on themes ranging from music to art school, and some of the Sound and Vision guest book sketches by the artists. There's also a lot of images of the artist's work. It's a thick paperback, perfect for just jumping into at any point for inspiration and insight. It's available for pre-order at just 25 bucks at Altillier Editions' website. You can find a link at Sound and Vision podcast website to order. Pre-orders are extremely helpful, so if you're planning to grab a copy, please go for it now. I'm super excited about the book, and for all of you to hold it and have it in your studio or on the train or wherever else you read about art stuff, thanks so much for the support. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join this summer in New York City or virtually from anywhere in the world. To learn from dedicated artists and to expand as a maker in the school's legendary marathon program. Rigorous and immersive marathons unfold over 10 days from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time daily and present an extensive range of art making strategies, comprehensive critiques, and inspirational discussions. Expansive first hand discoveries propel artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as direct methodologies for understanding their experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. Generous, partial scholarships are available. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden make their signature line of acrylic paints, core watercolors, and Williamsburg oils. I'm starting a new group of paintings, and I'm really excited to get into it with my Golden Gesso matte mediums and my Golden Acrylics. I've been using Golden for over 20 years, and it's never failed me in the studio. The new line of So Flat gives a supremely matte surface, and if you're after shine, the gloss varnish does an amazing job. It's an employee-owned company based in upstate New York. Golden's available in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Based in Seattle, Fulcrum makes incredible coffee that you can have delivered to your door. They have subscription services where you can have different blends delivered that you tailor to your favorite balance of coffee beans. You could save 20% on your order by entering the code ALFREDSTUDIO when you order from their site. Check out their amazing coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com. Lori Nye is an artist born in Memphis, Tennessee, who received her BFA from the Memphis College of Art and her MFA from the California Institute of the Arts. In December 2021, Lori's solo exhibition, It Wasn't a Dream, It Was a Flood, at Philip Martin Gallery in Los Angeles, was an Art Forum Best of Year 2021 feature. Lori's work is currently part of a group exhibition, Here Comes the Suns, at Bark Berlin Gallery in Berlin, Germany. In April 2021, Lori's artist project, Chickasaw Moon at Odd Arc in Los Angeles, was the subject of an art forum critic's pick. Lori's work has recently been the subject of solo and group exhibitions at Philip Martin Gallery in LA, Bark Berlin in Berlin, Germany, The Pit in Glendale, 
Odd Arc in Los Angeles, Big Pictures LA in Los Angeles, Blake and Vargas in Berlin, The Dot Project in London, Day and Night Gallery in Atlanta, La Loma Projects in Pasadena, and Unpaved Gallery in Yucca Valley. Her work has been reviewed in such publications as Artillery, the LA Times, Art Forum, Fad Magazine, and LA Weekly. She lives and works in Los Angeles. I spoke with Lori about Memphis, California, reconnecting to landscape, emo, working through depression, art school, and much more. Here's our conversation. I didn't get to go this time, as I'm in Manhattan, but I like Brooklyn. I mean, the last time I was in Brooklyn, it had a whole zone vibe that was great. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, look. I mean, I've been here, you know, 25 years. I, obviously, I like it, but you know, it tests your patience sometimes. But it is, um, it's great to visit. You know, it's funny because I have like friends who've moved out of the city. Well, especially during COVID. And, um, you know, they come back and they say, well, it's, it's, I, I probably do more now that I'm not living in New York, in New York than when I lived there. Cause when you live there, you're just like the day to day. And then when you move out, when you come to the city, you're like, well, I'm going to go out and eat. I'm going to go out and like see shows and we're going to go see music. Well, it's the same thing like with Los Angeles. I mean, I like, I have to consider myself a tourist in my own city sometimes, you know, I have to be like, you know what? Try to like enjoy what this city has to offer occasionally instead of just staying in Highland Park. Um, yeah, and and it's great when you do that, but you do tend to stick to your neighborhoods. Right. I really like you do that. Your thing. Yeah. You some, get busy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's like some galleries like moving over here in Highland Park. I couldn't be happier. <laughs> I'm just like if they would just all move over here, that would be We're great. Over. That'd be great. Everyone. You know, I've such bad, like, I feel like my LA knowledge is so poor because I've spent such a little time there. And, um, I, the neighborhood thing, I just don't know when I visited, I visited with my wife. I had a show there a long time ago, just one show in my life. And, um, and then my wife has gone for her work. She works in fashion. So we go to like, you know, a certain area and that's it. That's pretty much all I know. But I did. I did get the drift that like galleries are, are a commute and you can't do them all in one night sort of thing. You know, it's geographically different, but I tell you what, the friends I have there during COVID would really enjoying the weather and the space compared to like what we were dealing with here. Yeah. I noticed there was an exodus of people from New York. In fact, there was an exodus from New York to LA. I mean, yeah. there, there has been a wave in the last three years or so. Um, there are just coffee shops that I would say are just exclusively for New Yorkers now. I don't even feel like, I'm just like, okay, <laughs> this isn't, yeah. <laughs> Am I welcome here? Like, <laughs> I do love New Yorkers, but it was, yeah. And I, you know, gone to the hair, I've like gotten my hair cut and, you know, at the salon, it's like, well, you know, I'm just listening to people bemoaning, oh, bed was just getting terrible i just had to get out of there and they like all three there were three of them they were like yeah yeah i just had to get out of brooklyn yeah so yeah there's a lot of there's definitely a lot of new yorkers here yeah but i've heard you know you hear things and there were so many things about new york during covid that people were saying in the media and 
you know, that just was an exaggeration. You know what I mean? Like it was like fire in the streets and rats took over. And <laughs> it <laughs> did look I mean? pretty like, quiet there. It looked like. It was quiet. Yeah. It was quiet, which was actually refreshing. I mean, it made getting around easy, but um, no, but it was also, you know, it was also depressing, you know, like it's back now. So it feels good, but yeah, people were kind of, you know, exaggerating that but i've heard in la that a lot of people are leaving la too and i know some people who've left to the midwest you know to and out in the middle of i don't want to say the middle of nowhere but big sky country or texas a lot of people are going to austin or places like that so have you seen that at all absolutely yeah Yeah. like they're going to tennessee even to east tennessee i was you know my ex-boyfriend's moving there He's like, well, the prices have gone up recently in the last couple of years. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, yeah, people like you come in here, like Californians. I'm like, what? It's crazy. We're all we're just going everywhere. Californians are going everywhere, and people are annoyed by it. Um, Wait, people, people who? I think we're we're buying the house with Californians. It's, it's somebody, you know, the housing market's crazy, and and yeah. like Californians and other people that have this extra income are buying second homes and buying, you know. I mean, even I'm experiencing this. I'm trying to buy a house in Tennessee. Um, and I think there's been a few people, California people moving there too. I have a friend that's like an LA, Memphis commuter type. She's from Memphis like me. Um, but has lived in LA for like 20 something years. So she's back in Memphis for right now, anyway, for time. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think everybody's definitely moving. A lot of people are moving back to their hometowns. Interest, yeah, right. interestingly um or close to their hometowns like and that is something i had considered before i started working with philip i was there during the pandemic and i thought i'd kind of hate it i just thought i'd get really lonely and i really loved it um but you know it was circumstantial it was you know like it was a good 10 months because my mom was there and she was healthy and uh she was just like cooking all the time and I was just painting. And so, but then That's once nice. I started working with Philip, um, things got kind of crazy and I was like, I better not move, but I'd like to, you know, stay connected. Um, but you're thinking about it. Well, it, it's if something. I ever want to own a home, I'm thinking about it. I'm just like, how am I going to ever own a home? You know, and in, in LA, it, yeah. like in my neighborhood, you know, the house I just moved out of sold for 1.25. And uh, the owner had purchased it for like 500000 So right. things are really crazy in Highland Park in terms of pricing. But I think Who's we're buying all these places. That's what I want to know. It's like everyone's leaving. Who is buying it? Who, like who in New is? York, all these new buildings, who's buying these places? Exactly. Who is buying these things? Like, Are they all pedoteers? Are they it's all people with money from other countries coming in and buying a New York place or something? Or like if everyone's leaving and, you know, in during COVID, it was like the only reason you live in New York is for the culture and that stuff, right? It's not, it's not for the people. No, I'm kidding. It's not for <laughs> It's not for the ease of living. Let's just say that it, you know, it ages you a little quicker maybe than other places, you know? So yeah. if all these people are leaving, like who's coming here? Who, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. I think I it's like it. these the people that have a lot of, up. people have a lot of, um, 
you know, everybody was saying like there are, there are some people that just like saved up their money and actually made a lot of money over the pandemic. I mean, I got to save a lot of money. I know that living with my mom, but um, I guess there is a bracket of people that, that made a lot of money for whatever reason over the pandemic. I mean, I, I do know that a lot of people are buying second homes and these are just wealthy people and yeah. people that got wealthier. And I, know, I it's just the volume though. Like I see that there's certain people who are going to make money and there's certain people who have money. But when you see all these, like when you see the value of like every price of every house in LA or New York going up and up and up and then things are dipping with like the economy a little bit, you're just like, how does it stay? Unless this is going to burst. Well, you can know, imagine just, like someone that's super wealthy buying a second house in LA. Maybe somebody lives in New York actually, you know, yeah. that wants to get out and maybe somebody in the, in the art world because, you know, like the two places are connected and LA is, uh, a lot of New Yorkers like to be in LA. Um, right. cause it's, you know, it's sunny and it's open spaces and it's, it's an interesting thing. It's especially interesting to me just across the country where there's this, you know, diaspora where there's just like, there's not, it's not the, biggest cities it's like these smaller cities that are you know and and of course like i live i'm from memphis and then i have my brothers in nashville and has been for years so i've seen nashville like just go crazy like explode oh, yeah, kind of, i was ahead of the curve on that yeah it was pre-pandemic because i i i thought about it <laughs> but you didn't act no i didn't well it's hard to just buy up houses everywhere but i had a show at the frist a while ago and i loved it I went there and I was like, you know, I'm a music guy. I yeah. love music. Yeah. And uh, I knew it's music that, you know, I know the, the history. But man, when you go there, you get in the airport and there's guitars and vitrines and like, it is real. So I loved it. I mean, went honky tonking the whole bit. Great guitar shops, record stores, food. And, the, and, it, and that's the other thing I was going to say. I think the more people were moving back to provincial places where they grew up because those places you leave those places of the city because you want culture you want like art or whatever now everyone's moving back and creating their own versions of like new york la chicago in smaller cities so you have good food you have like art to some extent you know so it's like you can go back and and it's not quite so removed from everything thanks internet but you know <laughs> i think every town's a foodie town now like i, yeah. I ate really good food in nashville like really good. And it wasn't just the old staple places. It was also these new new spots, you know. They have some really good old spots too. And they have some good like Vietnamese places that are like old school old that have been there for a while. Um Yeah. But yeah, they've met a lot of people that have just moved from everywhere to Nashville. Nashville is a, a little a little New York, if you will. Yeah. Um, it aspires to that. Um, but, but Memphis is getting music. to be like that too because Memphis is a music town also but it's more blues and right. uh, I would argue that it's you know in competition with Nashville well, it's but it's a lot more weird than, different way. Right. yeah it's a little more like how New Orleans is than, than Nashville Nashville's a little bit more I don't know I don't know how you would say that we have a def we definitely have Nashville and Memphis have a rivalry. It's fun. Right. We, dis yeah, well, we diss good. each other. You know, I'm from Pittsburgh. 
I didn't even know Philly until I went to college and I hated it or didn't like, you know, it was like, you don't like Philly. Yeah, Philly, gross. <laughs> but you didn't know anything about it until you go there. <laughs> Turns out it's a great town. You yeah. know? <laughs> but the rivalry, maybe it like inspires the cities to keep their stepping their game up or something. But growing up in Memphis, I mean, was that, were you, so I guess you were subjected to music in the arts? Yeah, like I, mean, I went to an all arts high school, like a fame type high school. So it was oh, like, nice. yeah, it was like an art mecca. Um, did you apply to that? Like you had to do a portfolio? I think I did do a portfolio. Yeah, I had to get in. Um, well, so when you're in elementary school, or I guess, was junior high separate from that? Or was junior high school and high school combined in that art school? I'm trying to think. It was Overton. I, I think I started there in 10th. Did I start there in 10th? So senior high school. Yeah. 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 So, so junior high school, I mean, what, how did you sort of like have the idea to apply to this art school? Were you just always interested in I think one of my friends went or? to school there and she was just in the district. Like, so she just went there and I yeah. think I wasn't like quite in the district. So I had to apply. Um, but I think that's how it worked. I'm fairly certain. It's been a long time. Um, and I'm trying to think where was I previously before I went to Overton. I think I was in some like private school, but I was always drawing. So I don't know. I can't remember. I, I submitted a few things and uh, got in. And then, you know, when we were there, we were always working on a portfolio. Overton was like always working you towards going to art school okay. um, as well. Good so, teachers? Great, great teachers. Yeah. I mean, one primary teacher, uh, Miss Thornton. And, but we did everything. We did photography. We did, you know, we did painting. We did drawing. We did printmaking. She was a one woman powerhouse. And we That's went to, yeah, we went to Chicago, got to go to the museum there. And that was like the first time I'd been to that. And so it was like really eye opening. Yeah. Um, and when I was much younger, like I was always drawing. I remember uh, Memphis. Oh, maybe it was when I was in uh, Overton. Yeah. They had a collection. There was a, like, a huge collector in Memphis that had a huge, amazing Toulouse-Lautrec collection. And so oh, nice. they did this big review um, at Dixon Gallery, but it's a museum, Dixon Gallery right. and Gardens. And I did some kind of competition, and I was like, I think I was like second place or something. It was pretty great. It was just exciting. Um and seeing that show, you know, just like seeing things at that scale was so exciting at that age. Um, yeah, it blows you away, right? Oh, my like, God. Oh, I could do that. Because like, everything you've seen before that is just on a wall in your house or in someone's house. It's like a little print or something. I mean, I still love to lose the track to this day uh, yeah. because of that. And I can see it. I could see the sort of like, bio, the, you know, the, the curvy... I was thinking about your work and like thinking, uh, like I was curious as to what your, you know, your, your sort of core big influences are, or like the people that you would say <laughs> your work relates to. Well, and under I was a little, there was like some Klimt in there too. I was thinking. Ah, I was just well, that's what I was just gonna say. I I definitely loved Klimt before. I knew a lot, you know, about the bigger picture of what his context was, and when I was an undergrad. Funny enough, my dad, who was not an artist, you know, but appreciated that I was, got me this book um, on the, the Weiner Werkstatt. 
which I was like, because I was doing um, service design. So I was doing like boutiquing and I was really getting interested in that and when I first went to school. And he got me this amazing book on uh, kind of the artisans around the Wiener Berkstadt. And it was like the textiles. And I was like flipping out. So that was my first introduction to that. And then I kind of followed that path and um, got more and more into that. And then, you know, undergrad, I was really a figurative. I was like taking a lot of figure drawing classes. So I would say figuration is a huge part of my kind of underpinnings and just like my right. vernacular all stems from that. I had a rigorous, rigorous figuration kind of thing. Um, and then when I was in, in textiles, uh, my painting teacher told me I was a painter. And I was like, oh, oh okay. So I I <laughs> Some people take the onus. They're just like, no, you're a sculptor. Yeah. And like you don't even realize it. Sometimes they're, they can be off, but sometimes it's dead on. We're just like doing something like graphic design, graphic design. You're like, no, actually, you're a painter. And you're like, oh, yeah, yes, I am. <laughs> well, I was making these textile things that were so painterly. It didn't make any sense. I mean, it does. You can do anything you want to do. But it made more sense that I would get into painting. You know, yeah. um, at that point, I think he just saw that. And thankfully, thank God. Uh, so then I shifted back towards, I've shifted towards painting. Yeah. Well, sometimes those early endeavors are either it's just something you were exposed to, you know, as a possibility. And then sometimes it's an employable skill. You know, you could actually get a job in, you know, textile design. Or oh, I thought and that's what I was thinking at the time. I was like, you know, I, I can do something with this. Right. Like, no one says like, oh, yeah, a painter. That's a job. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't common. That's why I was just trying to like, you know, fill the... I was trying to check mark something. Um, but yeah, my my teacher, my professor back then was great. He just like exposed me to so many amazing painters. And then he got me super into the Bay Area figurative painters. Um, Little Diebenkorn. Yeah, which is interesting because I just had that show at Dorn Waxter, which is up right now actually until June 3rd. But they had some demon corn. They they work with demon corn's estate, so they have some demon corns upstairs and in the back. Isn't that cool? Whenever so you, cool. You know, like a, sometimes in my gallery, when I see they have a Frankenthaler and Noland or something in the back, mm. I'm like, yeah, that feels good. It's pretty special. It's like it doesn't. You know, there's no real association. It's not like they're on my team. Yeah. <laughs> but it just feels cool <laughs> to be in proximity to work that you you know you've looked at and really admired. For a long time. Oh my God! Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm in a show, an group show at um, Acapella Galleries, and it's a group show that Todd Broadway um, curated. Unnatural Nature. It's a great show. Great, great, like beautiful space. And uh, I got to go see it while I was in town. And um, a kind of a smaller painting. And then there's this big window. And then on the right side next to my painting is a uh, hockney and it was just like Whoa! like yeah. you know there's a tebow a wayne tebow in there too which is not my it wasn't my favorite wayne tebow but it was like a wayne tebow okay like right, it was right. <laughs> i mean come on it's not so, that you would have put it's it not, i would have chosen i have I have, I, have a, I have a few favorites i would have right. 
tried to get my hands on. But I imagine that was, there were some heavy hitters in that show, and I imagine it was quite something to get them all together for that. There was like Lois Dodd, and nice. there were some Matthew Wongs, and that was really special to see those in person. Um, yeah, it's a good feeling, right? Like, I feel like, especially early in my career, I wasn't in a ton of group shows, which someone once said, maybe that means people don't really like your work. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> yeah. No, I, that was like, I had a complex early on in my career. Because when you're young, you know, all that stuff matters. Like your CV, you're like, oh, shoot, I only had two shows and you're self-conscious or whatever. But as you get older, you're like, that doesn't matter. So, But, you know, I wasn't in a ton of group shows, but once in a while being in like, a museum show or like a group show with like artists like that feels so cool. But one time someone sent me a, uh, one of my dealers sent me a picture of uh, a bathroom and it had one of my small paintings next to an Alex cat cutout. And that was like one of those cool moments. And it was cool too, because it was like, you know, not in a gallery or a museum, it was someone's house. So yeah. no one really sees that. And it was just like, feels kind of cool whenever, you know, you're in good company. I guess it's yeah it's very good to know you know that when your work is with someone who cares about art and uh, puts it in those contexts and people see it in that way you know that's what you want um, yeah it, it's funny I don't know how you feel about this the idea popped up I don't really honestly think about legacy or worry about that kind of stuff like I just want to make work now and I'm really interested in like being able to just make work and I'm not so worried about, like, in 50 years if people see my stuff. You know, I'm not so worried about a legacy because I feel like when I'm gone, who cares? And uh, so you got to see that those shows while you were in town? Yeah, yeah. I wish I'd gotten to see more while I was there. I mean, you know, for as much as we complain here in L.A. about how spread apart the galleries are, it's as bad in New York <laughs> And if not worse, because I, I was avoiding the subway. I, you know, I was alone because I was alone on this trip. Yeah. It's been a little crunchy. Yeah. So I didn't feel good about being alone on subway. Yeah. Um, I mean, city bike, good bike. Yeah. I'm not as intrepid as, yeah, Yeah. not as, but, but, but yeah, I cabbed it mostly and walked. A lot of walking, that was good. But yeah, everything was very far apart. Um, and so... Yeah, it's similar. It, right? it's funny it, yeah. It's spaced out miles-wise, but you drive everywhere, so it's okay. You know, like, you can get there. In New York, you can't, you're not really going to be driving around into different neighborhoods. That would take even longer. So it's actually the same. It's like well, I did. I, I cabbed it, and I was like, fuck, this takes for fucking ever. Jeez. Yeah, it does. Like... The time before that, I was doing subways, and it wasn't quite as bad. It wasn't as bad. Yeah, it's a little quicker. Um, anyway, but it was fun. I have a friend, Allison Smith, who runs exhibitions at Goes, and she's been in uh, New York for, geez, oh, yeah. 25 not. years or something. I went to visit her at Gagosian. I try to do that every time in town. Nice. But that was like over, I went to see uh, my friend Haley Barker's show at Shrine, and I went to see my friend Hillary's show at Rachel Uffner. And those were kind of close together. Oh, um, yeah, that show was great, right? Yeah, both of those shows were really great. And I hadn't seen either of those galleries, so it was good to kind of to go over there and check those out. And and then I, you know, was like, I'll make my way over to 
Chelsea thinking like, this isn't going to take long. Like, damn, it's kind of far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I didn't Gators have a close by the time. Good God. That. Yeah. I was like, well, it didn't have a lot to, more that I could do after that. So I went and got pizza. I was like, I'm going to get pizza in New York. Damn it. Where'd you go? Giovanni's. It was like I'm what not, I I asked that as if I know a lot about New York. People, <laughs> well, it was in it was in the Chelsea area. I was starving. I was like, "Where do I go, Allison?" She's like, "Go up there, take a left." I actually took a right, but I went to Giovanni's and it was like the best pizza. And I was like, "Great, it's not going to be good," but it was like wood fire. It was really good pizza. It was really good. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, you're only a block and a half away from pizza at any given intersection. Yeah, you know, I mean, I just can't imagine that anybody would do pizza badly there. There's a Papa John's nearby me. No. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to. There was once a news story about uh, it was a Asian person who ordered and like there was a slur. Instead of putting their name, it was a slur. It was like a news story. And I read it on like the New York Post or something. And I was like, what the hell? Like what? Who? And then I looked at the comments out of curiosity. And the first comment was like, who the hell orders Papa John's pizza in New York? <laughs> <laughs> it cracked me up. It was like, that's kind of a good point. Who does get Papa John's? Yeah, what the hell? What the balls of of Papa John's to do that? Like, Uh, it was a whole. Yeah, well, don't they have other issues? I I don't know much. I think Papa John's is embroiled with issues, but it was funny. It was like someone's in New York City and they're getting Papa John's pizza. Sorry, listeners, if you do (laughs) order from Papa John's. Oh, yeah, you're okay. There's much better places to get within a block. That's for sure. At least in New York. I got, I went to like some, like the first night I went to some little tiny Italian place around the corner from my hotel. I just didn't know where I was exactly and didn't know what was around there. It was a very old school place, very tiny. And I was like, I ordered a Bloody Mary, which is like my favorite thing to drink when I am traveling. I don't know. It's just like my thing. Um, I just basically got the stink eye. It was just like everybody else there was <laughs> getting these bottles of wine. I'm like, can I have a Bloody Mary? Thanks. I'm like what? Yeah, but I had a good, was it good. I had a good time. It was a good Bloody Mary, and I talked to some folks in the dining room. I had a good old time. There you go. Yeah, that's all you need. Um, so let's go back to high school. So you had a good experience in arts high school. So obviously there was a bit of shaping for your future there where they're preparing you, whether you do it or not, they're preparing you for art school and the idea that like you can go on and do this. Like this is something that you're carving out. Yeah. So what was the process? I mean, was it really helpful? Did you apply to a bunch of art school? Like what was the that transition like? I don't remember applying to anything else. I, I don't know how I got in. I know that my friend... I had like two friends that went to school there and anyway, maybe I used her address, who knows, but you know, I have been drawing and doing that stuff. I just doodled and draw. I've been drawing since I was a very little kid. So at that point in time, you know, I've, I had some skills, um, enough to get in and, uh, and so, yeah. I wish I remember what was the process to get there. Listen, I don't remember last week, so you're doing a great <laughs> job. <laughs> Do you find that? Like, I'm, my memory is really... I can remember... Yeah, I know. It's very cliche. But, yeah, I can remember things in the distance, but I can't. It's harder to remember week to week. I have to write That's everything true. down. Yeah, there's like little... We have that selective memory from when we're young. There's like certain random things that just pop out 
And right. some things that you absolutely cannot remember. A lot of things in my 20s I can't remember. Yeah, like humans. Sometimes like someone will say or it'll be like, oh, remember that person? I'm like, I don't remember. Yeah. And then like my mom will break out a picture of like me with, oh, that person. It's like I had totally forgotten a human being. But I can remember like the little, the Galaga video game at the pizzeria that was two blocks down from my house. Yeah. And like, and how the quarter button looked whenever it would get stuck like that, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So odd. Yeah, memory is very strange. It's a strange animal. Well, do you call on memory on your work, or yeah. is it mostly photo based? Or like, how do you like, you know, what's the source of that? I would say like I've always kind of been an intuitive. I've always drawn in an intuitive way since the beginning, and going to like undergrad, they taught me the skills, and. Um, and then I taught myself more skills. And I can't say that I had a few painting teachers that were not very good. And I had to teach myself a lot, especially about oil. And um, yeah. so anyway, over time, um, I think all those things have synthesized, you know, like I went to grad school and that's a whole other ball of wax. You know, I went to CalArts. That's a big shift, right? Yeah. And I was, you know, this Tennessee girl, you know, I was working with Michael Asher, you know, I was really, (laughs) really a fish out of water. But fortunately, I, I am pretty tough. And so I stuck it out. I mean, there were some people that just would be like lumps of like crying lumps after critiques i mean some of the critiques are pretty grueling and they did try to like be like why painting and i'm like what the hell i i'm a painter i got into the school i'm a painter what the hell like it's just like okay you know let's talk about something else let's talk about aesthetics michael asher's like aesthetics i loved michael asher actually but he was just so conceptual and i think but he was such a loving caring person um so I just have done everything where I've tried to like reach down and then I, you know, like when I was there, I was like, I'm trying to have dialogue with these other kinds of, of forms of, of making, which, you know, were new to me and, and delving into that was really eye opening and did a lot for me. But, you know, for many years after that, I was really questioning and that's what, you know, grad school does to you. Um, but I just kept it making, really oh God. Yeah, it does test you. But, uh, I think the schools are a little different now, you know, they were a lot <laughs> harder on you back then. And yeah, it, it's, I feel like it's just the same with everything. Parenting, Yeah. you know, teaching, like I used to play, I, I coach and I used to play soccer. So the way you deal with player, like my coach was like a drill sergeant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they would have us running until we threw up. Like that, today there would be lawsuits. I know. <laughs> or parents like on the sideline being like, "You can't do that," you know. Yeah, it's um, it's so litigious it's now, and it's everyone's all up in everybody's business at this point. It's lame. I um, I won't go into that, no, but it, no, it's I just, know, it's just. I, I mean, I think there is there is value in being pushed and not being constantly coddled. And treated like, yeah, I mean, I do think I hear a lot about students like feeling like they need to be serviced or I don't know, that sounds bad, but like that, that your 
act of, of teaching or whatever is a service to them and that they're not there to be your student and not there to glean something, you know, and, and right. work, do the work. I mean, I hear that a lot. Um, Isn't that hard too to teach and advice? It's kind of like, there's just this feeling now that they're paying for it. So they'll do what they want to do. It's like, if I want to just watch Netflix and not really work a lot well, I'm paying for this, so, you know, I'm going to do what I'm doing. It's things, times are tough. Yeah. Well, that's, it's, I find it hard. Remember, uh, do you agree with this? When you were in school, remember when there was this feeling of like, sometimes a feeling of, well, I don't have inspiration or I don't have a lot of ideas. And they were like, who gives a shit? Like work, work through it. Like you're not here to wait until inspiration strikes you. You just have to keep working and, you know, you will find something. But it wasn't this kind of like, now it's like, oh, well, you know, I had a hard month and I just couldn't really get, bring myself to the studio. It's almost like the conditions have to be perfect and, you know, everyone's got to be feeling great mentally. And, you know, back then it was just like you went to the studio for everything. It's like catharsis. You know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I mean, the teachers were like, buck up, get over it, get over yourself. Yeah. You know, if you can't make something, get in your sketchbook and make 10 drawings in your sketchbook. You know, look through right. magazines, look in things that you care about and plaster those on your wall and think about them. I mean, there's all these ways um, to think and do and get out of your 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 brain fog, um, that I value. So I, you know, I usually teach in UCs, like I, I teach at UC Riverside. So the student body is different. You know, they have to work harder for what they, you know, overall, it's not like a fancy art school. It's, um, you know, it's a big school. And a lot of times I teach like beginners and some people that are not artists and I love it because I get them to go to a museum and they're like, would you have it? Is it a dress code? And I'm like, no, 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 just wear whatever you want. And it's so great that they yeah. get to go to the museum. I remember going to the museum for the first time, you know, I remember that. Um, and they all like their attitudes about it are so flipped after at the end of it, at the end of the class. And um, I love it. I love teaching. I get a lot out of it. I take a lot from what I, learned from my teachers and you know try to do that um so anyway back to your original question that i meandered away from um i think over the pandemic i well i was making i started making landscapes i had this kind of catharsis show which was about a breakup it was called the sick rose i had that at big pictures la um and that was like what 2019 and it was about a breakup. And so it was just where I started to have this, like previous to that, I was doing these kind of like sci-fi inspired kind of working through these like mute kind of collaborating with these muses that were in, I kind of invented long story short. Um, and that was great. It was an inventive way for me to kind of use a kind of visionary space. So then after this breakup that I had, I kind of wanted to get back into this one-to-one -one relationship with me and my feelings and like, what am I doing? And um, so I had that show. I did that show. And that was really good for me, I think. And then after that, I knew I wanted to shift. So I shifted into landscape and I was like, just making trees and thinking about this like totemic kind of forms. I was really thinking about the forms and 
going back to my roots of really being in the Wienerwerkstatter and looking at Nouveau and looking at all those things that initially inspired me early on. Um, yeah. And landscape was something that I was doing in at Cal Arts for my thesis was like kind of these scapes with a figure, but they were well, like a little bit more non-objective. There was something else I was, you know, doing, but it, it was like this American Gothic and I was trying to dig down into my Southern roots and what that dark underbelly means. And so I went to Memphis, started working at my mom's kitchenette table because I didn't have my studio and making smaller pieces. And I went and did some plein air painting or drawing with some friends at the park, this big park we have in uh, Memphis. And I don't like to draw necessarily from life when I'm doing like landscape. I'm not a big landscape drawer. I wouldn't, you know, that's not my thing. I like to draw yeah. just from my, my memory a lot. Um, and so, but I did a few, I did get loosened up when I was there and I did um, make a painting from one of those drawings. And I was like, hmm, I really like this. Cause I was also looking and thinking a lot about um, Edvard Munch at the time. And just the kind of the heaviness that was like so in the air um, and what was evocative to me. And it was definitely about place because I was living in LA and I was dissatisfied and wanted to like figure that out. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll just like, maybe this is it. This is my life. You know, I mean, I'll just move back to Memphis and you know, you can be an artist anywhere at this point. So yeah. I was like considering that. And, um, you've already established, you know, relationships and have been showing your work. So at yeah, that point, yeah, it's not like you're trying to like introduce yourself to people. So yeah, people know have, me at this point. Yeah. So that was in my mind and I just made this painting and I wore, I didn't have any, you know, preconceived ideas about it. I just thought, um, let me just make that again <laughs> in a different <laughs> color palette or like, let me try that again. And I did it again I was like, shit, this is fun. Like, and I was like, let me just see how many different ways I can make this one image. And and it, then it just started to be, and it was called um, emo landscape, emo, because I was, you know, obviously emo. And I really wanted to explore color. And that's what I did through that, that lens of that particular landscape. So I made it like 12, I made 12 of those um, while I was there. And, and the palette's kind of up, isn't it? Or am I mistaken? Yeah. I feel like when you think of Monk, at least I do, Yeah. I think of like a heavy sort of, it's emo. Yeah. In a really like gothy emo way. Yeah, it's interesting because I have suffered from depression my entire life. And I have tried to make that clear in my work somehow. Like I've tried to get catharsis through my work. Right. And it's so happy. <laughs> it's like the palettes are so not dark and for I me mean, mostly i mean I, i'm sure i've been more emotive and, but overall and, and it's certain got, works but it's got like a sun feel to it like it feels illuminated yeah and which is often you know thought of as being kind of upbeat or positive or optimistic yeah you know yeah and, and i mean what it reminds me of yeah. the smiths because I feel oh. like Morrissey was like depressing. Like he, it was all about being depressed and all that. But the music's so happy. Like when I listen to the Smiths, I don't feel down. Except for Meet His Murderer. I wouldn't say that's a happy song. 
No, no, the song. Well, yeah, no, they're yeah. Well, some of them are hilarious. They're like the most depressing lyrics in the world, but the music is yeah, like can be very upbeat. You know, heaven knows I'm miserable now is like kind of sounds nice. Well, you know? interestingly, I felt really happy in some ways that everyone kind of could feel what I felt during the pandemic, just how isolated I could feel as a person growing up through that lens of like depression. And um, fortunately, you know, like, in, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, whatever, I got, a, you know, on medicine that was really, that changed my life completely. Um, in a I, good I, way? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's a mild depression that I have. It's nothing, you know, it's not a major depression, but I think I did reach a point where I felt, where it felt major because I just had yeah. been t- trying to deal with it in all these other ways, like exercising and whatever, you know, just writing and everything that didn't involve was it, medicine. Was it debilitating? Was it keeping you no, from doing things? Not debilitating. It Depression, you know, it, you can have friends that absolutely have it and you have no idea. Um, It's something that you absolutely can keep to yourself, but it's very much a daily wake up with it kind of cloud in front of your head. And it can be really hard to make decisions. Decision making can be very like extended for just infinite. Like it was just at that point in time, it was um, hard, but my landlord's husband killed himself. And I was like, okay, that guy was great. Like, what what just happened there? Like, that's when I... During that time? Like, during the pandemic? No, before the pandemic. That's when I decided to go see somebody and try oh, to, like, okay. get get something to help me with my issue or whatever, just with it. Yeah. Um, I always think it helped my work because I would always find my center in the studio. It's very grounding and, you know, it's very centering. Um, but it's one aspect so, um, yeah, so anyway, as I've gotten older, I think I just have definitely gone back to memory and have become more sentimental. You know, I lost my father, like, it's going to be the 10-year ten, ten anniversary this year. Uh, he died on Father's Day 10 years ago, and he was very, oh, thank you. He, he and I were very close. I wouldn't be an artist if it weren't for him. He really supported me, and he wasn't. You know, he worked his ass off his entire life, and he had a great business, but he worked from way before, you know, like since he was like 15 or something. So, um, he was very open-minded to me uh, doing what I needed to do. And anyway, we grew up going to the river and being on a houseboat on the weekends, and I grew up fishing and I grew up going, we had a cabin in Arkansas and I grew up being around nature. And so, and he really instilled that in me in this, in this quiet, you know, like when you're sitting on a river or a lake or whatever it is and you're fishing and you're just doing nothing except waiting for something to happen, you know, with your line, which is just very, God, it's so peaceful and meditative. Right? Yeah. yeah. I think I did find it boring for when I was in a teenager. Right. <laughs> then I grew up, and then I grew up after you know. There's a period in in your life when everything is boring, and you know I've just always I've just loved it, um, and I don't have that since he's gone. You know I just I don't have anybody that 
wants to go fishing. Um, right. So those things are really valuable to me. And I think I do try to recoup some kind of uh, idea in the work now with these memories and just the idea of nature in and of itself, like what, what is happening that is, there's just like a crushing amount of things that are overwhelming, you know, in terms of like climate change and the environment and all the things. Um, so it's, there is like some kind of recouping going on, like in this work, you know, I'm just trying to like work something out. Right. Um, trying to find like a space for, I don't know, some kind of peace, peace of mind, I guess. That's a that's such a beautiful kind of like um, connection between, you know, the idea of landscape and then this memory of experience, which was so connected to your family, but then also connected to mindfulness. And, and you know, I always believe that when someone looks at a work, they are not going to know everything that's going into it, but you can kind of unconsciously feel what connection the artist has to that. Like you, it almost... I don't know, maybe that's like silly to think, but I feel like like if you're really angst-ridden and you make a painting and it's born out of that, then the viewer will somehow connect to that. Maybe not literally, but, you know. And it's funny, do you think that the fact that you went to CalArts, you are often not like explaining your paintings to yourself or like saying, well, there is a conceptual underpinning to this that's really connected, but, you know... I don't, I'm not necessarily saying it in the work, but it's there. Do you feel that it always has to, because, you know, sometimes I'll make a painting of flowers and just, you know, it's flower. It There's no, you know, I think they're beautiful or whatever it is. And then I'll paint, you know, a riot or something or a forest fire, you know, so it can go between, you know, and I feel like it's all about our world, but I don't know, going somewhere like CalArts, which seems like a very conceptual place, I was curious if you feel like all the work does have to have that conceptual underpinning to it. Or would it have been totally okay to just go paint nature or invent nature just because you like trees? I absolutely think it does not have to have any conceptual underpinning. And I think going to CalArts gave me the balls to say that because I... I think that in, in grad school, they try to do something, you know, they try to get you an unsure footing and see what you're going to do and see where you're going to go with that. If you're going to make it, you know, like, you know, just make you stronger. And some people go very conceptual and some people do not. And if anything, it made me more dogged at, at just what I wanted to do. And that took me a long time to get there. I'm not saying that was so easy. I was in my head right when I right after I graduated for a few years. I really was in my head. I was like, "What am I trying to say? What am I trying to show the world? What? What?" But um, eventually, that just sort of fell away. And it is whatever you are doing, whatever you are thinking, or whatever context you is there is going to be there. And um people can see through that and I can't tell the viewer everything. I mean, they have to find something out for themselves. And so if I have any feeling in the work, then someone's going to have some feeling in the work. I mean, I mean, at least that's my belief. Like my work is definitely, it's my work is definitely tied to 
emotion. It's definitely, there is an emotive quality and color for me. There is a definitely, especially lately, more symbolism for me with color. Color is kind of a huge part of my painting. Um, sometimes it's memory, sometimes it's future memory, sometimes it's past memory, sometimes it is invented. Um, but it all comes from a lot of uh, those, you know, like past experiences, um, which are unique to me. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of uniqueness about my family and me. So I think that, and of course, like everybody has something unique and something interesting um, and that's underneath. But there were like, there are some artists that just really are repeating a thing over and over again. And it's boring for me, like yeah. to just not have anything but a conceptual idea or anything but a mechanism. Sometimes mechanisms are actually amazing because the mechanism, you're doing the mechanism and then something else gets in there. But, you know, right. um, it's just what I, I enjoy. It's just what I dig. And, um, you know, I just, I think I when I was little, I just really wanted to make my family happy. I just want to make my parents happy. I just want to make everybody happy. You know, I have, like, it's just, there's a lot in my background. You know, my, my brother died in a car accident at like 14. I was like, I was like three. So I grew up with the specter of death, you know, and I, I kind of just wanted to be the, the golden child, you know, for, for my, especially for my dad. Um, cause I could see how it affected him. My other brother went to prison. Um, so it was just, and then my mom's side of the family, we had a huge family. She was adopted and fostered and that side of the family is huge and wonderful. And, um, her, my grandparents adopted and fostered over 82 kids. So we had these, yeah. So we had these huge, 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 um, Thanksgivings at granny granddaddy's. And that, Wait, did 80 show up? No. Cause like some of these say. kids, some of these kids were in and out, but, and yeah. they had five natural kids. And then they had like, maybe like five kids that lived pretty permanently in the house my mom was one of them, but granddaddy had a nervous breakdown as one could understand. So she had to leave for a while and then come back. Um, but she was a very sickly child and she was given up, you know, by her mom. And so they took care of her and she was in and out of foster homes. So there's that too, of just like me growing up, kind of understanding that my mom, she has this kind of anxiety that's inherent. I can imagine is from, kind of this kind of way of like growing up and like feeling kind of, you know, like not knowing where you're exactly where your place is. Yeah. But the, the Martins were like my grandparents. So, and that was, it, and we still have, you know, I still have aunts and uncles that I just absolutely adore. Salt of the earth country folk, you know, that I just absolutely love. And, um, these experiences, I think all this stuff is like there in my work somehow. I do think I'm sentimental, more sentimental than I used to be. And more, there's more feeling in that um, than there was. And how that plays out, I don't know because I am also ambitious. <laughs> and I'm really like competitive with myself. So I, 
I don't know like how that, you know, I'm always going to have to challenge myself to make paintings that I like that they're doing something for me. Um, so there's more than just sentiment, obviously. There's more than, a lot more than that um, going on. Yeah, I mean, that's a real, ideally a real power. Like if you're growing up in a situation that you grew up with and feeling like you have to be the one, you know, you have to step up, right? And then, you know, in the idea of making work and then coming to terms with and being comfortable with it being what you want to do, making it for and about you deep down and what your interests are and being okay with that, I'm sure is cathartic in a way, you know. A lot of things take time too, like your point about where it takes a little while after grad school to sort of exercise the demons, you know. I feel like time does really help with things. Like, you know, the, I think the value of grad school was, you know, they tear you down and build, you know, it's the idea of like to pull the carpet out from under you to ask you all these questions. But I think at the end of the day, it's not really about like, you know, why are you doing it or why you're not. It's almost like they're just wanting you to answer, to know that the questions are out there, that people can question you. And so you just get comfortable in whatever it is you want to do. Like you just have to stand for it, you know, and those who can't answer it or who buckle probably aren't going to be able to withstand making creative work in their life you know what I mean it's like that's the ground floor you have to be like no matter what at the end of the day no matter what's said in the critiques no matter what happens no matter how hard it is at the end of the day you got to go back to the studio and keep working because if you don't you're not cut out for it right so I think that's the main thing is like you learn okay at the end of the day well screw it I'm just gonna make what I want to make yeah yeah because if i'm not doing that what am i doing i'm just making stuff to appease other people and it has no resonance with with who i am i think it's what you were saying about that work that i mean sometimes the idea that conceptual work leans more towards that inherently but not necessarily some people might be really enthralled by conceptual ideas in the work and then it comes out you know there's good and bad on both sides there's people who make work purely for themselves and it's like oh boy you know, it's not, doesn't necessarily mean that everyone, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's so the shower doesn't mean everyone, I'm going to release a record, you know. <laughs> yeah, we were, yeah. There, there was something Jerry Saltz posted about these men. I don't know, it was just mostly men. I don't know, there weren't any women. and But doing those kind of like very large scale, kind of like bodily type abstractions and oh i saw that yeah yeah and i got a nice hearty discussion going of just i'm like you know okay i don't want to like discourage and he's like maybe don't do that he's like maybe it's <laughs> just like i was like well i wouldn't want to discourage anybody from making you know but i don't i'm not so interested in seeing this on ig right. i don't need to be i don't need to be there for that for their performance but maybe they really need that i mean there are some people that really need that and um yeah, as far as CalArts, there were some, a lot of people that came there with an attitude, knowing what CalArts was. And at that point in time, CalArts was a heavy hitter. It was like 2000. And, uh, yeah. you know, it was the heyday. And um, one of the heydays, anyway. Um, Laura Owens was like shooting like a sky, you know, like she'd been there. And there was just this, yeah, was this, this awareness. Right after the spin article came out. Remember the spin article? That was a big thing. Because I was in grad school in 98, 99, and I remember seeing that and being like, what the? F 
like California art schools and Spin Magazine talking about grunge music and stuff. It was like, whoa, yeah. this is like a different level. Yeah, and uh, my friend actually, Allison, in New York, I was visiting her in New York, and she was like, I was like, you know, I need to go to grad school, and I just don't know what, where to go. I've applied here, and she's like, oh, I've heard of, what about Cal Arts? I just read an article about um, Cal Arts. You should apply there. And I'm like, you know, I'll just do that. I'll apply to Cal Arts. And, Isn't um, it amazing? Pre-internet? I mean... You just listen to people. They'd be like, you should apply to that place. And it was like, you couldn't do research necessarily. It was just like, all right, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was totally <laughs> blind doing this. Like, I didn't, I wasn't invested. I looked up Cal Arts. I looked at who had been there, Larry Pittman. And Larry Pittman at the time was just such a huge... Oh, like, I looked amazing. so... I mean, yeah, he's amazing. And uh, that's all I needed. I just needed to know, like, oh, my God, Larry Pittman went, th- went there. And so I applied. And I got in first time. And that is not easy to do. I just got lucky. Yeah. I got lucky. Leslie Dick was there, and she liked my work. And um, and I'd been doing shows in Memphis. I'd really been pushing myself and trying to get outside of my comfort zone and... Yeah, so Cal Arts was a big deal, but I was just country bumpkin in a way. Not really. I was, you know, I, you know, I'm a lot of things, but I was, you know, I was proud of being from the South. And I remember, like, you know, Kordansky was in my class and, and in my group. I remember one day we were having critique, and Dave was like, "Yeah, this is like giving me like a Georgia O'Keeffe vibe." And back then, I was, like, so offended. I was like, listen, (laughs) Dave. I was like, you're going to mess. You're going to make a Southern woman angry. Like, I was so pissed. (laughs) I was pissed. But, you know, looking back on that now, I'm like, gee, yeah, like, I love being compared to George O'Keefe. Who wouldn't? Again, that's that's that time. You know, you need time. Back then, everything was so offensive because you were like, any similarities, something was like, well, I'm just copying it. No, I was I was offended by the beauty aspect. I was like, oh, you think my painting is just superficial? You think that my work is just like what a jerk? Yeah, (laughs) how how dare you? There's much more to this. Yes, serious stuff. It's all going over your head, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) That was Cal Arts. Yeah, well, it's. I mean, it seems like it was a great. Yeah, my I feel like if you're gonna go to grad school, uh, instead of it being a two or three year vacation, then go somewhere where it's gonna be rigorous, because then you're you know, you're gonna be challenged, or it's just gonna. Listen, some really great artists came out of my two years. I mean, in my class, I mean, I was with you know like Rodney McMillan, and Rodney was, it's the same exact person now. I mean, he was just such a great. God, he was so tough. I just am so lucky that I got to go to school with these people. I mean, I really think it's the people. I think it's the context of those, your peers. Um, Right. Totally. Well, that's like a major value, right? I mean, you do learn things or whatever, but it's also the peer group. Like, I think Scowhegan was amazing for me because the people, you know, and even the the quote-unquote teachers were more like just, come to your studio and be like, hey, what are you working on? Oh, that's cool. It wasn't like grad school where it was, you know, there's like faculty fighting each other in your crits. Like, no, this is bad. And, you know, just, it was like ideologies at war 
and your work is just a pawn in their arguments. But like Skowhegan was just like, hey, we're all here in the woods hanging out, you know, jumping in the pond and uh, talking about each other's work, which was great. But so many great people were there when I was there. That it was a really great community. I think that community means a lot, especially when you're getting started, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's everything. Um, a lot of those people are still my friends and, you know, it's exciting. I mean, Dave. Except Dave. Dave, <laughs> <laughs> Dave is great. What a jerk. No. Dave, I'm just kidding. Dave. I know he My favorite thing about Dave was when he did this, um, and it's like what endeared me to him. And uh, he was younger than me and he was super ambitious. But he did a, he was a kissing booth for Halloween. Halloween was a huge deal at CalArts. Anyway, he was a kissing booth and I, I gave him a kiss. And he was like, I'm so like impressed that you like participated or whatever. I just thought he like opened up in this way that was really funny. And I, I like loved unexpected, it. unexpected, right? Yeah. Yeah. His uh, studio was like right next to my studio the first year, you know. And he was like, it was a cop Kordansky um, when they were like kind of together like as a collaborator collaboration Jeff Cobb but um yeah it was a great group of people uh a lot of those people you know I mean and even the the group after us I have good friends great friends from that that group so it was a good experience in that way there were wild times in CalArts at that point in time yeah and LA is still sort of feeding you as far as the community and you know, it sounds like you have some pretty great friends there. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like, would be the hardest thing to leave. Yeah. I, I don't think I could leave permanently. I, I like the idea of like going back and forth between LA and Tennessee. Um, because after I'm in Tennessee for a while, I do feel quite lonely and I do miss my friends. I have a huge community of close friends here that are instrumental you know, that understand me and, you know, we're all artists and we, we get each other and it's important to have those, those friends, um, as just some long-term friends here. And, you know, we have like a weekly painting group that we, um, go out and oh, get beers. Do? Yeah. That's cool. We just go out and get beers. Do you go see music? Is music still I love part? music it and it's always been a huge part of me. Um, yeah. but I, after the pandemic, I just haven't connected to live music in a while and that's a bummer oh, me neither. i've been to one show since which is weird because it's not like i was like going out all the time but i love live music yeah but yeah it's it's slowed down i think these things will start to pick back up like going out to eat you know in new york like it's starting to you know pick up and the same thing with live music like the first show i went to was a terminal five like sold out and I mean, fortunately, I was in a balcony area, but like just looking at the sea of people gave me like anxiety. <laughs> I mean, everyone was masked, but still, it was like, there's a lot of people. I was still a little uncomfortable, but it's getting better. Yeah. But it's so great to see. Like, I was really, I don't know. I mean, the guy who was performing was great, but it was also like, I did, it had been a while. So it's just like, man, it's so nice to see people making music in person. Yeah, it's a totally different experience. And. You know, yeah, like it's it's always been a huge part of my life. I just haven't connected to it lately. So I hope that I get to have that experience again soon. I'm not as worried about all of it as other people. I got COVID back in December. 
And so yeah. I feel like I went through the initiation finally. <laughs> got, got it. Had it. Did that. And um, I'm not as scared of it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, what about music in the studio? Is that how you go or do you go? Do you watch The Office? Do you watch Netflix in the studio? What do you do? What's your... I have several silence? music lists that are music playlists that I will go to if I'm in the mood, but sometimes music will make, will influence color and like moves and it makes, I can make mistakes because if I'm in like the beginning, let's say I'm struggling with a painting, I'm not going to put a certain song on or music on because it could definitely take me to another place. Um, and influence color in a way that maybe I, you know, like I need to like really focus in. So lately, <laughs> what I've been listening to. <laughs> Uh-oh, the, the giggle. Well, <laughs> the I like have been playing or replaying episodes of um, What We Do in the Shadows. And oh, so, what? You don't what know that? what that is? What is it? Have you seen the movie What We Do in the Shadows? Um, Tai. No. Iki Waititi, is that his name? He's the director. Anyway, he did this movie. It's like a, it's like a Dracula. It's a vampire spoof kind of thing where there's like a documentary crew like following these vampires in their lives in their mansion, and it's the fucking like contemporary. Yes, in, like set now. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, I, don't know I originally I saw the, oh my god, yes. well, I originally saw the, the movie, and it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen, and it's just, whatever. So he did, he created a series with uh, different actors, and you can watch it, like, on Prime, that's what I do, I don't have cable or anything, yeah. so I watch it on Prime, um, or watch that, and uh, Game of Thrones on repeat. And I don't watch it, I just listen to it. It's like a white noise yeah. that, and then when new books come up, like that I really want to listen to, like I listen to the, um, is it 14th? No, wait. What the fuck? Anyway, I listened to a couple of uh, really good books, like on repeat, like really long ones. Um, it just depends on the mood, but it, it, it's better for me to just now try to keep music out of it unless I'm really needing it. Like, an, an, or like when I'm starting paintings, it's, that's a good time to listen to music when I'm just starting, when I'm like yeah. laying out a painting or whatever. But when I'm in the heat of it and the thick of it, I need to just be a robot and be like really focused in my mind. But like, I can't be pulled emotionally with music. That's not a good thing for me. It really affects me. Like, it really yeah. does. Um, it, well, two questions. Yeah. One is, was it Ninth Street Women? Is that what Ninth Street, yeah. I was like, 14th. It's not 14th. What the fuck? Yeah, so Ninth Street Women, I had, like, listened to it, like, three times because it was so much information. Um, so good, right? So really good. good. And it, even the audio was so good. It was, like, so well done. It The writing... 14th Street Women is not as good. <laughs> <laughs> people don't, out of don't, yeah don't buy 14th street <laughs> don't, bo don't bother with that one astor place women yeah yeah <laughs> um no it was a good book yeah. do you like ann truitt speaking of yeah that, yeah 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 she did you have you read her books i have read a little bit of yeah her and she's I really brilliant she's brilliant 
Yeah. Yeah. It's so med speaking of meditative, I would when I commute I teach at Penn State and um I was listening to them. I was reading them in between. It was funny because I would do books on tape and then catch up in the book when I could read in a book and going back and forth. But um, it was really sort of meditative and nice to just, I tried to push it on some of my students, but they don't, they, I don't think they were there yet. They don't read as much. They don't, I mean, some of them do, but <laughs> I. Yeah, they don't read. They don't. They're illiterate these days. No, they don't. They I mean, just don't have the attention span. Um, I wonder why yeah. everything is awesome on a phone. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to sit here with these, you know, words on the page when I can just audible better pay attention. Words. They need to get all those books on there so that we can have those as resources. I'm serious. Like I even have no attention span. Like I, it's hard for me to read or really make myself do it. I just got like this compendium of things, uh, books recently that I about just, just, um, artist lives and and they're shorter so i could really like they're shorter chunks that i can read yeah. but that's about it like i just hey. can't sit through a hole i could I'm if i really tried <laughs> yeah no I, I always i always joke that i don't read and it's kind of a joke but the thing is is like when your way of working is visual so when i have time i'm painting and then i have a kid so when am I going to read at 930 at night? I'm falling asleep within five minutes of starting reading a book. So, I mean, I've been getting better at reintegrating it because I was doing so many books on tape that now I'm starting to read more books and I have them around. But it is tough. I mean, you got to carve out a certain environment, quiet, you know, uh, non-sleepy time. Or like reading will put me to sleep faster than anything else. Absolutely. Chamomile tea is number two reading a book is not and i used to read like i i read infinite jest whoa so you know this is pre-tech technology so you know back then we had a little more time there was less distractions so but yeah i mean it is tough to read (laughs) our we're not we're not like set up for it these days as much to be honest you have to make a concerted effort like a beach is a good place yeah or it used to be an airplane was a good place but now i just like literally just watch movies on the airplane it's hard for you me can't to read not. on there's an airplane like, there's like other people's movies playing for you if you try to turn yours off it's like oh look over there game of thrones you know i, I, I mean i if anything i read my news feed religiously and that's so not good because there's no good news like i'm just oh, yeah, news like that is, is literally the only thing i read now and i read it incessantly like i read political news incessantly I'll do it. i got rid of facebook years and years ago because it was just I feel like it was a constant stream of people complaining, news, terrible things, and people passing away or talking about other people. It was just so dark. I was like, I don't, no, I don't need it. At least in Instagram, it's just a picture. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like, I don't know. It was just too negative. I was, uh, after 9-11, I watched the news for, you know, months and months and months, 24 hours a day, and then it really messed me up. And yeah. I had to go on a, on a, uh, that's why nowadays I just don't watch TV really. I watch soccer. That's about it. And I watch some movies here and there. Like I watched a Warhol documentary, which was really cool. And like the Beatles thing. And I watch stuff like that, but I, I try not to get too roped into staring at that thing. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's tough. They make it hard these days. Yeah, they do. It's hard to figure out how to unwind. Um, yeah, there are some really good documentaries out there. I would I would say, um, 
I watch a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race, though. <laughs> Is it good? I've never watched it's it. It's so entertaining. Sure. I mean, it's like, and it's heart, it's heart wrenching. Yeah. Because they're real people. I mean, I grew up like dan- doing dance, and I don't know. There's something that I particularly relate to about it. Plus, they're artists, and yeah, I don't know. I like the uh, the British Bake Off thing. I really like that one. I've watched that a few times. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think there's a nice chemistry of people on it. I yeah, feel like it's nice too. It's not like American reality shows are always so evil. I know. Like everyone's just trying to like shank everyone else in the back. <laughs> but RuPaul awful. is not like that. I mean, I think maybe early on that they were they can be pretty competitive, but they're also compelling. They're just people, you know. They're just like when you hear their stories, when you inevitably do. Um, it always touches me. I'm just I always like, oh, I love that yeah. person. What? I like the one, what was the one, the early one with fashion? Oh, Project H- Runway? The, yeah, I like that one when yeah. I first started watching That's it. still oh, good. Okay. There's like... It's still going? Yeah, it's different hosts now. But the last season was super good. The most recent season was good, but the season before that was really, really good. So I, you know, hope they stay around. When I was much younger, I thought I would be a fashion designer. There wasn't much opportunity for that in Memphis, though. In, in the mean streets of Memphis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, it's funny, too, having a kid changes everything. Because I used to watch, like, French New Wave cinema and, you know, old classics and stuff. And now it's, like, Marvel. Or, like, you know, it's just thriller stuff now. Well, yeah, that's what they can get people to go to the movie for now. Like, people don't want to go to the movies unless it's, like action yeah people don't want to go to the movie just to go see a documentary you know they can watch it on netflix right or anything that heavy heavy because it's like the news feed like everything else in the world is like that you know so it's like they want that escape they want it to be fantasy or yeah i mean it's generalizing but i feel like generally you know people want an escape absolutely yeah i can used to love like very straightforward movies that don't have special effects that are just about life and then as it started becoming more and more rare i feel like oh it's maybe it's because like all of our heaviness is being broadcast on our phones all the time oh god you're you're preaching to the choir now like i yeah i i really have to watch i just really want to get rid of this phone i really do i went on my first trip since before covid and it was involved the beach and i really wanted to skip that phone off the ocean just let it you know just like yep just see how far i could toss it out there but i couldn't do it i failed the beach is just positive ions i'm fortunate that i do live near a beach not you know my favorite beach is like an hour away but still i am close to a beach and it is definitely transformative every time i go i feel like it's a reset button yeah absolutely it is one of the main, like, things that I love. I know. Being I love so close to it. The yeah. smell. The, I go in there and I just can't get out. I just sit there in the water. It's just it's like really you can cool. just, yeah, you could just, that's it. You can just sit there and just feel that energy. It's really wonderful. Yeah, I feel like when I'm in the ocean that I'm just not thinking about, that's the real joy for me is I'm not thinking about any of the day-to-day humdrum stuff. Like, I can... It's almost like I'm in the ocean, like I'm not on land anymore or something, and then I can just detach from it. It's really nice. Yeah. 
All right, last question is this. If you had to, you don't have to, but if you, like, what would you compare your work to sonically? Like, what bands or songs do you feel like sound like your paintings look like? Jesus, that's hard. I know. It's an important question. It's actually not important. <laughs> it's just, I feel like it's always intriguing. Sometimes you think someone will be like Metallica and you know, you're, you, you, you know they're going to say something like dark and heavy and they're like, yeah, Britney Spears. Like, huh, you know. A few years ago I would have said Led Zeppelin, but it's not the case anymore. Uh, Led Zeppelin's they've, too... They, they, they've shifted because there used to be a lot of like lightning bolts in the work. Um... Oh, who's that artist that is her, is the name of the artist, is it, is it Andromeda or is that album Andromeda? I don't know. Let me look in my, hold that thought. Well, look at my handy dandy playlist here. Well, I have this thing where I, and I don't even try it, but, um, Whenever I see work, I, I, like, music pops into my head. Way's Blood. What is it? Way's Blood. Well, I don't know that. Yeah. Okay, I Googled it. I'm going to look it up. Thank you for the tip. Yeah. Oh, she's from Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Oh, really? Yeah. I think her... I feel like that album that I connected to is like, and I know there's a song called Andromeda, but it's on that album. That album's pretty great. There's she's cool. she's riffing on a lot of things. Um, it's funny because it's um, I mean, like you said, you have a sort of figurative underpinning, but I would imagine instrumentals or not instrumentals, but more ethereal vocal. Well, I don't know what she sounds like, but I'm curious to. I, you know, who popped into my head was uh, Tame Impala. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were times when I just listened to Tame Impala on repeat, like making my work, but not this particular work. But yeah, you know, I can definitely vibe on that. Landscapey, kind of escapist, like ethereal, upbeat, but still a little, I don't want to say creepy, but you know, like Klimt is, Monk is a little, got a little creepiness in it with the weird undulating, you know? It, yeah. In a good way. Listen to Wayblood, see what you think. Yeah, I'm going to check it out. Thank you for the tip. I feel like I try to, you know, that's what I love about music and art. There's always going to be something that you're like, yeah, I never saw that work before. And you're like, oh my God, how did I, when you look at it, you're like, how did I miss that? You know what I mean? <laughs> like a painter from 1943 or, you know, remember when um, Hilma, Klimt like came out like, you know like everyone was just like I think there was a show that happened that exposed her work to everyone everyone's just like whoa how do we not know this work it's like well, she was Candid in a show years ago that was like a triad of people but I, do, I just don't think it resonated quite there wasn't the awareness of her and her particular amount of work that was like there and ready to be like explored or whatever you know yeah. I did see that show in New York and it was like 
I know. Right? Mind blowing. Yeah. It's like, I don't really, to be totally frank, I, I wasn't that into it, but when the Henry Darger stuff got found, people yeah. just like, anyone who was doing kind of creepy figurative stuff was just like, hello, here's a treasure trove of stuff to like, you know, mine. But it's That's like, what I was mining when I was at CalArts was, was Henry Darger. And like, oh, I was really? looking, yeah, I was looking at Henry Darger and Courier and Ives, which is like an American printmaker. Because um, mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out American landscape and just the weirdness I was really trying to understand something uh, that was particular to American landscape. So uh, I was looking at those things and not so much of, you know, like Renaissance painting. Yeah. Did you like Lynn Ward? Do you know Lynn Ward, the graphic novelist? Mm, I don't know. It's I don't like think so. Era, but I have to look it up. Stuff. Yeah. Definitely look it up. All right. We got some homework to do after this podcast. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> So do you have, uh, like, what's the, the stuff that, well, you mentioned the shows. Do you want to mention those for, or anyone can see your work in the world right now or online and how people can keep, you know, keep up to date with what you got going on? Yeah, I mean, I'm posting on Instagram. That's how I, I kind of really hate being on Instagram right now, though. But that is usually, how, like, if there's something coming up, I'm going to post it on Instagram and, um but there is, yeah, I'm in a show right now. I have a solo project up at Mandoran Waxter in New York. Um, it will be up through June 3rd. It's called Earth Flowers. It's a great little show, which I partly made in Tennessee. Nice. Um, and then I'm in that group show, uh, Unnatural Nature, which is at Alcavella Galleries. I think that's up for a couple more weeks, at least. And... I, my primary gallery is Philip Martin Gallery, and, you know, as far as, like, upcoming projects, I think I have something at STEMS Gallery, a group show oh, in nice. Paris. Well, it was great to talk. Thanks, Thanks. so much for doing it. Thanks for um, inviting me to do this. Yeah. Of course. It's been great. Thank you. Hey, Sound of Vision is recorded and produced, edited by myself, Brian Alfred. You can check out more about my work at brianalfred.net, at the podcast, soundofvisionpodcast.com, on Instagram, at Alfred Studio, and at Sound of Vision Podcast. Why I make art the book? Please pre-order it. You can get it anywhere, Amazon, Target, all those other places. The best place to get it is Altelier Edition's website, straight from the publisher, you can find their link at their website to buy it or through the Sound of Vision podcast website. Many thanks to Lori for taking the time to talk and Michael for the intro and also for Rishikesh Hirway for doing the foreword to the book. You might know him from the Song Exploder podcast. Uh, big thanks to him for that. I'm really excited for the book to be out, as I said at the beginning of the show. Um, it's $25. It's a thick book. It's got lots of features, images, and cool stuff. It's a fun book. It's pops. It's got a lot of color, a lot of images, and I think you'll like it. So if you could check that out, support the team, spread the word, tell a friend. Thanks again for listening. Got some really cool episodes coming up, so every week, and it's great. So thank you. 